Hi, everyone. Welcome once again to Dan 1132. My name is Jim Wittavine, and I'm happy to be here with you once again. It's been two weeks since our last episode. It's summertime, so we're slowing the pace down a little bit for the next couple of months. and going to hopefully do an episode every two weeks. Uh, but it's good to switch gears a little bit, and that's exactly what we're doing in this episode. Over the past number of episodes, we've been speaking about the issue of transhumanism, and that's an issue that we will be returning to because it is an important one. But there's another important issue. Well, there's many important issues, but there's another important issue that's on many people's minds, many Christians' minds, and that is the issue of social justice. And what is the position of of the Christian church when it when it comes to social justice and issues of social justice. Obviously, this is a live issue in many churches. If you check out any number of church websites or denominational websites, you'll see a focus, a growing focus on social justice issues. More books being published about the issue, uh, more articles being written, uh, evangelical organizations writing about the issue and encouraging Christians to think about social justice. The question is, what should we think about social justice? And how should the church be involved in promoting social justice? So the first thing that I would like to look at is specifically, what is social justice? What's the definition of social justice? And more particularly, what does the Bible have to say about social justice and issues of justice in general? And I'm going to do this introduction on the basis of a book, as I normally do. And the book that I'll be using for this introductory episode on this issue is a book entitled Social Justice and the Christian Church. And the author is Ronald H. Nash. And this book was originally published uh, many moons ago in 1983. So in some ways, we could say it's, it's a bit out of date, but the issues are live issues. And if things have changed, they haven't changed for the better. If the, things have changed in the evangelical church, the, the issue of social justice and uh, the promotion of social justice uh, has only continued to grow over the intervening decades since this book was published. In future episodes, we hope to look. I hope to look at uh, the historical issues surrounding social justice in the Christian Church, uh, thinking specifically of uh, the liberal church movement of the early 20th century, and more recently the movement in the Roman Catholic Church for liberation theology which I've done a fair amount of study on in connection with my mission work as well. But in this issue, in this episode, I want to speak specifically about definitions of social justice, what is the nature of the issue, and what is justice really? And then we'll take it from there in subsequent episodes, as the Lord permits. So to start off with, let's just talk about the, the basic issues of social justice and what it means. And what Ronald Nash says in the introduction to his book is, is this. One of the two sides of Christian social concern is the Christian's clear obligation to care and to be concerned about the poor and the oppressed and to do what he can on their behalf. 
But the other dimension of Christian social concern adds the stipulation that if a Christian wishes to make pronouncements on complex social, economic, and political issues, he also has a duty to become informed about those issues. And that requires a careful study of economics and other social sciences. In other words, if we are going to be compelled to speak out about certain issues, we have the duty, we have the responsibility, it's not optional, to be informed about those issues. We can have opinions about, those, about certain topics, but those opinions must be based in fact and not in feelings or emotions. And, and this is really the first major issue that comes to the fore when we speak about social justice and the Christian church, is that we must not allow ourselves as the world to be guided by uninformed emotions. We know that the world says, if it feels right, do it, or speaks about how things make us feel. Injustice makes us grieve. Injustice leaves, leads to negative feelings. It leads to sadness and sorrow and grief. And then the question is, how do we deal with injustice? How do we deal with uh, lack of justice in societies, however we define that justice? Well, that what we do as a result of our emotional response to social injustice must be based not just in emotion, but it must be based in facts and in logical thinking about the issues. So what what Nash says is, it is not enough to feel compassion for the poor and oppressed. Compassion and love must be coupled with a careful grounding in the relevant philosophical, economic, political, and social issues. So we must have a grounding in what we're talking about. We must know what we're talking about before we begin to express uh, very strong opinions on subjects, whatever the subject may be, but particularly in this case, the issue of social justice. So what did Ronald Nash see in the early 1980s? Well, he saw a process that was beginning and a process that, as I mentioned, has only continued to grow, to snowball, and to impact more and more evangelical churches, even many conservative, ostensibly conservative uh, reformed and evangelical churches. And so he wrote that the present state of the evangelical debate is characterized by a noticeable swing to the left, so the left politically, uh, on the part of many evangelical intellectuals. Almost without exception, the major evangelical books about social justice that have appeared since 1960 have been authored by writers who reject and condemn political conservatism as a cruel, heartless, and uncaring movement totally out of step with an informed biblical view. Most recent evangelical publications on the subject insist that the Christian's undisputed obligation to demonstrate love for the needy obliges him to adopt liberal statist means to aid the poor. In other words, if you care about social justice, if you care about oppression, if you care about the things that God says that he cares about, especially when we read the Old Testament, where God speaks a lot, and God's word speaks a lot about care for the poor and the oppressed, and specifically for the widow and for the orphan and for the sojourner. When we, when we care about those things, 
what many of these authors will say is that in order to do something about that, what we need to, what we need to do as Christians and as churches is support movements from the political left, the socialist ideals of government programs and government support and more government intervention in people's lives. Liberal, what Ronald Nash calls liberal statist means to aid the poor. The question is, is that really so? Is that really necessary? Well, he goes on to speak about the the appeal of liberalism or socialism or even Marxism among Christians. And the appeal lies in the appeal to social justice. Lewis Smeads, a, a theologian, he justifies his political liberalism, quote, not on the basis of compassion, but on the basis of justice. Vernon Grounds criticizes politically conservative Christians for what he describes as their casual indifference to social injustice. In other words, many conservative Christians, according to this Vernon Grounds, do not care or do not care to uh, involve themselves or speak out against or get actively involved in movements against social injustice. So that's his claim. Grounding one's own position... Ronald Nash continues, on an appeal to social justice carries a built-in advantage. As Antonio Martino points out, the expression social justice, quote, owes its immense popularity precisely to its ambiguity and meaninglessness. Why? Why is it ambiguous? Why is it meaningless? Well, it can be used by different people, holding quite different views to designate a wide variety of different things. The meaning depends on what you pour into it. And the quote from Antonio Martino continues, its obvious appeal stems from its persuasive strength, from its positive connotation, which allows the user to praise his own ideas and simultaneously express contempt for the ideas of those who don't agree with him. So it becomes a catchphrase, which signals virtue. Now, Ronald Nash wrote this book before that phrase, virtue signaling, had come into vogue. But that's exactly what this is or what it can be, is a type of virtue signaling, where a person says, I care about social justice, and therefore I support such and such government intervention in people's lives, such and such government program, or an increase in funding for certain programs, or an increase in in people employed in certain programs, or whatever the case may be whether it's racial reconciliation, whether it's poverty, whether it's uh, oppression of any kind, if a person claims to, have to, to, to want to promote social justice and use the catchphrase, they can easily, that person can easily tar their opponents, somebody who doesn't agree with those measures, as being anti-social justice or favorable to social injustice, or simply not caring enough about the issue. Even though someone who disagrees with the social justice movement as it currently exists today may not necessarily believe that. And in fact, many, I would hope, most or all Christians would care and do care about issues of quote-unquote social justice, but may have differing opinions and I believe should have differing opinions on how those problems should be dealt with. 
we are all aware of the fact that there that our societies are filled with problems that there's problems of uh inequality there's problems of poverty there's problems of abuse and there's problems uh that relate to and stem from our sinful human nature and the effects of sin on society in general yes there are problems and those problems are acknowledged and perhaps some of the problems that are claimed to be problems are not actually problems and we need to deny their existence such as the implications of uh, institutional racism for example and the the doctrines or or the the understandings uh, I, w- I would say the dogmas of critical race theory but at the same time we are we acknowledge that there are problems we acknowledge that society has uh, its failures and we acknowledge that all human beings are fallen and sinful creatures and that we all have a tendency towards selfishness we all have a tendency to want what we want and and uh, not care about the rest of the world that's our sinful human nature our sinful tendency but as christians in whom the holy spirit is active and working we we see among christians a care for the oppressed for the poor for those who suffer but we also see a a uh, among many christians a refusal to go along with the idea that the the orthodox tenets of the social justice movement are necessary or wise or worthwhile but when the argument becomes I'm for social justice. You're anti-social justice. Well, the argument ends there because the opponent is tarred with a particular brush. And that means that the argument doesn't go very far. What Nash goes on to say is that attempts to analyze the meaning of justice, so justice in itself, what is justice, are noticeably absent in most Christian discussions of social justice. Many contemporary Christian social activists simply assume that when they claim that justice demands this action or that policy, everyone knows precisely what the term means. So there's a presupposition about the term justice. We use the term justice without ever defining it, without ever saying what it really means, uh, without ever making distinctions or or, uh, defining various aspects of justice but just presuming that we have the right idea of justice. Everybody knows what justice is. But Nash goes on to say, a careful analysis of justice will help to reveal the specious character of most liberal appeals to the term. The word has several functions, ranging from its use as a synonym for righteousness, as it's often found in scripture, justice and righteousness, to more particular usages in which people receive their due in commercial, remedial, and distributive situations. And that's what we'll speak more specifically about, those varying definitions of justice. What is justice? What is justice as a synonym for righteousness? And what is the other aspect of justice, commercial and remedial and distributive justice? And in doing that, we're going to take a look, for those of you who are watching on Rumble, you'll see on your screen, uh, a little uh, figure that has universal justice on the one side, 
and particular justice on the other side. So justice has two parts. If we think about justice and what is justice, the definition of the word, we need to think about two types of justice. First of all, on the left-hand side of the figure is universal justice. And on the right-hand side is particular justice. And under particular justice, there are three types of particular justice. First of all, there's commercial justice. Secondly, there's remedial justice. And thirdly, there is distributive justice. And distributive justice is what we think of as social justice. So that's really the first point. The first point is, is that when we talk about particular justice, we're only talking about half of the picture. There's also universal justice that we need to think about, especially in biblical terms. But also, when we think about social justice, we're only thinking about one part of what justice actually is. So social justice is not commercial just justice. It's not remedial justice. Uh, but it is distributive justice. And we'll get into an explanation of what that actually means because it's worth thinking about. It's actually not just worth thinking about, it's necessary to think about that and to think about the big picture of what justice really is. So to summarize, universal, universal justice is the equivalent basically of righteousness. So in scripture, when people are called just, that is universal justice. And acts of justice in various contexts are particular justice. And this was a division or a way of explaining justice that goes back as far as the Greek philosophers who spoke about justice, who defined justice. And their work was also taken up by Christian theologians who defined justice in specifically Christian and biblical ways. And especially when we think about the issue of natural law and theologians' study of the issue of natural law, which uh, goes back to the Middle Ages uh, and beyond, really, uh, about what is the, the law the, 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 that exists by nature that everyone knows, as the Apostle Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 1, that definition or discussion of natural law always included a discussion of justice. And justice uh, has these different aspects, and those aspects must be kept in mind, universal and particular justice. And Nash says that the Bible uses this universal sense of justice, just as, or in a similar way to the Greek philosophers, speaking of universal justice. And he says, it is present in Genesis 6, verse 9, where Noah is described as a just man who is perfect or upright in all his ways. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 5, the just man is defined as one who does what is lawful and right. So that's universal justice. In fact, Nash continues, the vast majority of biblical allusions to justice appear to be examples of justice in this universal sense. Attention to this fact is important because many who are anxious to find biblical support for socialist policies quote many of these passages about justice. Read carefully, however, the texts are irrelevant 
to their purposes because they don't speak about distributive justice. They're texts that that have the word justice in them, but they have nothing to do with distributive justice, with social justice as it is currently defined and as it is currently discussed. So you wrench a text from its context, and that, as someone has said, becomes a pretext for your own opinions, and you pour that meaning into every uh, every appearance of that word or phrase in scripture. And then it just becomes a big mess because your thinking on the subject becomes muddled because you haven't made the right distinctions between uh, the universal justice and the other aspects of justice. But you instead apply the ideas of social justice to every passage that speaks about justice. Now, going on to speak about that second part of justice. First of all, we're going to speak about commercial justice. Then we're going to speak about remedial justice. And then we're going to speak about distributive justice. Now, commercial justice, uh, first of all, interpersonal relations involving economic exchanges raise questions of commercial justice justice. So when we're doing commerce, when we're buying and selling, when we're doing business, that has to do, commercial justice has to do with that sphere of life. When people exchange goods and services, questions arise as to whether the exchange is fair or the compensation just. Passages of scripture like Leviticus 19 verse 36 and Proverbs 16 verse 11 that oblige merchants to have just scales and weights seem directed to this type of justice. So that's commercial justice. Now, secondly, is remedial justice. Instances where some wrong must be made right under either criminal or civil law are occasions for remedial justice. Cases where an innocent individual is found guilty or where the punishment for an offense is too severe or too lenient are instances of injustice in this area. Exodus 23 verses 3 to 6 is one of a number of biblical passages that speaks to the issue of remedial justice. And we'll just take a quick look at that passage, Exodus chapter 23. And I'll begin at verse 1. And it says there, you shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. So there's a couple of very important principles there right in verse 2 and verse 3 of Exodus chapter 23. So don't join with the many to do evil uh, and don't side with the many simply because it's the majority in a lawsuit so as to pervert justice. But on the other hand, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. So there's two sides to that. Don't sign with the crowd. Don't, don't, don't uh, side with the crowd. But on the other hand, don't side with the poor man or the oppressed person simply because he's poor or oppressed. And verse four continues, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. And verse 6, you shall not pervert the justice due to the poor in his lawsuit. 
So verse three, you shall not be poor, you shall not be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. So there is no, in this way, preferential option for the poor, as the liberation theologians say. But on, on the other hand, you shall not pervert the justice due to the poor, to your poor in his lawsuit. And note the words, your poor. They're the poor of your community, of your people. So don't favor, favor the poor at the expense of the rich because of issues of social justice, quote unquote. And also do not pervert the justice due to your poor because you want to ingratiate yourself with the rich or because you figure that a rich person deserves more than a poor person does. And verse 7 goes on to say, Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. So there's a lot that this passage in uh, Exodus 23, the verses 1 through 8, there's a lot that this passage has to say about issues of justice and about a proper balance in perspective when it comes to issues of what we could say are uh, remedial justice in particular. But we can also see that this passage does speak to the issues of what is known as social justice in terms of our relationship with the poor, the relationship of the poor with the justice system, and how the poor, how the oppressed, uh, how the quote-unquote marginalized are dealt with by the justice system. So we have commercial justice in the first place, then we have remedial justice, and finally, questions about distributive justice arise in situations where some good or burden is apportioned among human beings. So how does, within a society, how are goods distributed? Who gets what? And who and why do they get it? Who receives uh, welfare, for example? Who receives benefits? Who receives care from the community? Uh, and why? And who pays for that as far as the, the providers of these services go? Nash goes on to explain. He says, Such situations are encountered frequently as, for example, when a parent divides the evening dessert among the members of a large family. So there's a, uh, a very simple daily example. So what is justice? It's not necessarily giving one, one, one of the children a huge piece and the other person, uh, the other child, a, a small piece of the pie. No, the, you, you want to be just. You want to be equitable in your distribution of these goods. As a parent, treating your children and dealing with your children, but also, or a man dividing his estate among his heirs. As the term is used in contemporary writings, social justice is viewed as that species of distributive justice concerned with the distribution of burdens and benefits within society as a whole, a distribution that is usually controlled by political authorities. And so that's really where the rubber hits the road when it comes to the issue of social justice. So we're talking about specifically one aspect of justice. We're talking about distributive justice, the apportioning of the goods of a society to the members of that society or how they're divided, how they're spread around and how uh, equality or equal opportunity or equal results play a role in that division. 
So this is basically an introduction to the issue of justice, distributive justice, and also uh, the other aspects of justice. But social justice specifically has to do with the issue of distributive justice. And what I wanted to emphasize in this brief introduction to the issue of social justice is the fact that definitions are important, that understanding of the issue is important before we go off having and expressing strong and uh, incontrovertible opinions on a certain topic and saying that the person who, that, who we're opposed to is obviously someone who's not a, not a good Christian because they're, in, in, uh, in this case, they're against social justice or they're propag- propagating or promoting social injustice or they're just part of the, the the world's injustice and they're not wanting to fight against it because we don't and I don't want to fight against what what is known as sh- social injustice as the world does because we believe that the world's methods are uh, first of all they're not wise they're not wise according to God's plans secondly uh, they're not real justice Thirdly, they often cause more harm than good. And in the fourth place, they really oftentimes lead to very negative, if not disastrous results in individual lives, but also in society as a whole. And so in these terms, the modern movement towards social justice, the so-called social justice warriors who are wanting more government programs, the payment of reparations, the universal basic income, whatever program or, or movement may be being promoted, many of these are have these not just negative results, but they have negative results because they're based in false premises and they're based not in the wisdom of God, but they're based in the wisdom of the world. So these are some important things to keep in mind just right from the beginning of the discussion. The importance of, first of all, definitions, of understanding what justice is and what the biblical references to justice have to say about the nature of justice and about the results of justice and what justice is not. Because often there is such confusion about this issue, which leads to very confused thinking. And confused thinking, we know, leads to faulty, erroneous conclusions. So that's basically an introduction to the issue of social justice. And we haven't really gotten into the meat of the matter, but we've gotten through a very important point to begin the discussion. And that is being informed, being educated as to the state of the argument, and the definitions involved. So I hope you found this introduction to social justice, a very brief introduction, helpful. And as we continue along this series about social justice, I hope that we can come to some biblical conclusions about social justice, the movement for social justice in the church, and how we as Christians should stand when it comes to the very popular uh, dare I say, trendy movement towards promoting social justice and the, the kind of language, the kind of rhetoric that's being used to make those who don't consider themselves supporters of social justice, such as myself, 
in in modern modern day terms anyway uh to to marginalize people and to to push them off to the side and outright reject that argumentation because of the kinds of arguments that we've heard about so we'll continue this uh this discussion in future episodes if the lord uh, provides opportunity to do that and i hope to see you again in a couple of weeks time as we'll continue to look at the issues of the day, to look at the issues of the spirit of the age, to understand these movements, to understand what's going on in our world, and to apply biblical wisdom and biblical instruction to how we think about these issues. So may God bless you, and may God help you also to apply his word to all of the issues of life, so that you, in the words of Daniel 11, verse 32, can stand firm and take action. Until next time.